Welcome to another episode of Murray Musings, and we have a one another wonderful guest who I'm incredibly excited to talk to. He's been called the hardest working man in tennis, one that everyone respects and admires and listens to. He's the voice of the Challenger Tour, the Bud Collins of the USTA Pro Circuit. Please welcome Mike Cation on. Mike, how are you doing today? Thank you so much. I'm not the hardest working person in tennis. I, I, I always <laughs> bristle at that one. I, I, I get to sit and just watch tennis and talk. Like that's it's a lot of hours, but it's mm-hmm. so much fun. It really is. That that is a man who loves his job, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I I mean, yeah. That that cliche of you know love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life. I'm I'm really blessed to do that. There are some days where yeah, I'm I'm broadcasting and talking to myself for fourteen hours. It's not the worst thing in the world. I talk to myself as it is, so it's okay. <laughs> do you do you ever get sick of tennis? I'm just wondering, like, because yeah, like all the articles like are say like like. A lot of articles describe you as the hardest working man in tennis, somebody who watches all like tennis all day, every day. Uh, and is there ever a point where you're like, I need to take a break? <laughs> uh, yes. Um, so, so let's see. I, I just finished two weeks on the road in Orlando and Tallahassee. Oh. I have not watched a second of tennis since, um, oh, wow. Wow, to, okay. to be honest. Uh, yeah, I, I after I'm doing... That stretch, a stretch of two or three weeks, I take a couple days and decompress. Um, although I don't want to get burned out, um, so I'll, I'll, you know, it, it, if I'm being honest about it, you know, you're missing the first couple rounds of of a couple of events, maybe, you know, but I, then maybe Thursday, Friday, I'll pick back up and try to watch some things. While also, I'm I'm a single parent at home um, a lot of times, so I try to balance and make sure I'm being a parent and that's the important part um and uh and just kind of balance that out but yeah I'll, I'll take a, a few days off for sure after every extended stretch so that I make sure I kind of reset put my priorities where they need to be and then kind of find that balance do you um do you ever find it hard when so just what you were saying then about having to take a couple of days off to decompress do you do that because do you find it hard to watch a tennis match and not mentally commentate mm. on it. <laughs> that's, that's a great question because yes, I absolutely do sit there and I'm just like, gosh, what I know what I would say right now, but I'm not talking to anybody. I'm just talking to myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's a great, I hadn't actually thought about it, phrased it that way. Um, that's a really interesting question because yes, I absolutely do analyze and sit there and feel like I'm doing a match broadcasting Mm -hmm. a match it is hard for me to sit and watch as a fan which I still really like to do Um, being at the U.S. Open last year when it was so you know such a unique situation I actually got to watch the finals from seventh row right behind the court like what an incredible experience that I will never have again in my entire life I, I knew I was blessed to just sit there I had no responsibility for both the men's and the women's finals. I was the backup for the U.S. Open radio. What a day. Got paid, got to watch tennis from <laughs> oh, that wow. seat, right? Nice. Amazing. But I still found myself thinking, okay, how, how do I analyze this point as it's going on? And, you know, and like I'm still thinking like that. I'm just like, just chill out, relax. You're <laughs> like, you're never going to have this experience. Just enjoy a, a nice Coke and, and, you know, watch the match. But yeah, I, I do think about tennis as an analyst too much. And I really prefer okay. to have that experience as a fan from time to time because I think that's really important for us as broadcasters to have that um, 
and just to have that so that we remember what originally got us into it if we yep. think come at it as analysts too often i think then we kind of get away from that fandom experience and then we're not really engaging with the fan um some broadcasters are better th at that than others but yeah i think that's a it's a really good point i to try to step away and and engage as a fan more so than an analyst a lot more times than mm -hmm. i do mm -hmm. um so we love to start our uh podcast episodes with our conversations with y'all um about how you got into tennis uh can you explain about your journey from just being a fan and uh, what you do now? I appreciate the fact that you went with y'all there, Peter. That was that was very nice. Little <laughs> Texas. Uh, that was very kind of you. Um, yeah, I I played. I actually started late in the game. Um, I I my earliest memories of tennis were being at my grandparents' house when I was six, seven, eight years old, and and oh, watching wow. Wimbledon finals. You know, breakfast at Wimbledon. Bud Collins himself mm -hmm. in the flesh. Um, watching those matches. The, you know, McEnroe matches, Connors, um, it, uh, Saturday and Sunday mornings while I was at my grandparents' house. But I didn't, nobody in my family played. Not a single person in my family played. Um, I played baseball, and then I threw out my shoulder twice before I was 12. Um, and so I just decided I didn't really want to do that anymore. And so I actually started playing tennis um, in a more competitive sense when I was 12, Um I played on my high school team. I did well. I was starting to get recruited by um, Division three schools here in the States, um, mm -hmm. so some of the smaller schools, smaller colleges. Uh, but then I blew out my shoulder again, uh, which is oh. the final time, and I just said, you know, screw this. I'm not going to play. The odds of me, you know, really doing well are very small, so I'm just going to live my life. I went into broadcasting, um, I and so that was – kind of where my broadcasting career got started was in college. Um, and I kind of okay. gave up on tennis for a while, uh, while I was in school itself. Um, but then my, my second radio job, um, it was in Champaign, Illinois, which is where I was from. And one of the first weeks I was there, I did an interview with somebody you guys are all familiar with Craig Tiley. He was mm -hmm. the head coach at the oh, university yeah. of Illinois uh -huh. Um, when I was 16, I'd actually taken some lessons from him. He was coaching oh, wow. the university of Illinois men's tennis team. And because they didn't pay very well, he was also giving private lessons on the side. So <laughs> I happened to be one of the kids in like the group lessons. He remembered who I was and said, Hey, listen, we're looking for a public address announcer for our team. Would you be interested in wow. being involved with the program? Oh I said, sure. Um, and that led to me announcing for, for the team. He also asked me to do a lot of media relations type stuff for him, which was amazing. Um, I got to know Amir Delic, Rajiv Ram um, mm -hmm. during that stretch. So some, some pretty big professional names, Ryler DeHart, who was top 200, Brian Wilson. I got to know those players. I started doing stuff for their websites. I created their websites for them back in the day. Um, and then I worked for a challenger. They had a, cha a challenger in Champaign and I was the press aide. Um, and then it, eventually led to me getting this job as the challenger broadcaster so it's been this long transition and love and process to get me to where i am but it's it's been amazing and just a lot of um really enjoyable experiences with incredible people that's incredibly cool um so i um just said and i love this line already um so forgive me for <laughs> saying it again but challenger tours are the heart and the start of the tour um, so uh, Andy Murray uh, came back, um, mm. as uh, we all know, um, to the Biela Open. Um, 
and uh, so this year he, you know, of course has had so many injuries and stops and starts. Um, and he won his uh, first Challenger uh, Tour title in Aptos in 2005. Yeah. Um, can you talk about Andy Murray? Since, of course, we're <laughs> an Andy Murray-focused uh, uh, podcast. Yeah. Um, about how uh, his journey has been um, from the Challenger Tour level and uh, definitely how uh, other uh, people that are uh, coming on and off the challenger tour manage uh, their time and going up uh, to the ATP tour level. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what my, my personal experience with, with Andy has been, it's been very, very limited, but uh-huh. okay. um, so I've had the opportunity to know a lot of the, the British players, Liam Brody, yeah. Luke Bambridge, mm-hmm. some of that group, Dan Evans as well, kind of at the start of when I started doing this in 2013 and 14, what, what they told me was they were getting texts from Andy uh, during that stretch, 2013, 14, 15, when Liam started making his, I, I talked to Liam a lot, way too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, to he me, would, there is no such thing, but go on. <laughs> no, he's, he's, he's a dear, kind human being. Like, I give uh-huh. him a lot of crap. He's a really good-hearted person. But he would, he would just tell me that, you know, Andy was watching all of his matches, uh-huh. And would every single time would send a text saying, hey, great job, you know, maybe think about this the next time or, or just little notes. And the same thing with Evo and, and, and Bambridge. And now Joe Salisbury is a guy who's obviously come through as well. Uh-huh. And, and it was remarkable how all of them had the same exact experience with Andy. Every, every single one of them was just they just have this reverence for him as a person because he would despite the fact that he had that level of success a family all of that he was taking the time in his day to make sure that these players who are at a lower level a challenger level that they knew that he thought it was important to not only him but maybe to british tennis all of that and that they were important and i i will never forget that as just on the human level, right? That's the thing about challenger tennis that makes it so challenging to me. Um, and Noah and I on our podcast talk about this a lot is just how lonely it is, how much yeah. you just feel like you are out for yourself. You are going from city to city without an entourage. Nobody else is taking care of your body. It's just you. Right. But Andy Murray superstar, you know, world known figure was taking time out of his day for all of these British young British players and saying, I, I want you to know what you've done, I, you know, validating them. And I think that's such a, a crucial thing. And so I, I got to meet him um, in Cincinnati uh, 20, I guess it was 2019 when he was, I think that was the first or okay. second tour level uh, event back. Um, or I guess it was the first event back after everything. And, mm-hmm. and I, I just happened to run into him in a hallway randomly. And I said, excuse me, Andy. And, and he said, yeah. And I said, my name's Mike Cation. Uh, I'm, I'm the guy who does all the challenger broadcasting here in the States. He's like, oh yeah, I've heard you a lot. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I just, I, I basically so said cool. the same thing to, to him that I just said to you guys that how important I thought that that was. And he just, he just said, you're exactly right. I went through that myself, you know, even though I was much more, um, I don't remember what he said, but, you know, that he was much more accomplished and everybody kind of knew he was on his way, but he was out there a lot on his own and he knew what that level was like. And so that's 
for for me, above all else with Andy, and I mean, I know you guys do such a great job of talking about so many things as part of his career. That's what will stand out for me for when I think back on his legacy. And you've seen it in the Battle of the Brits, right? And just what, what he and Jamie have meant to so many young British tennis athletes. Mm-hmm. They all love him because he shows that kindness and humanity to them so that at this lower level, they know that somebody is watching out for them and somebody cares for them. And I think that's such a human thing and what makes him a great person and somebody that is a great role model for people in our sport. Oh, definitely. See, hearing that about Andy really makes my heart sing mm-hmm. because he he actually he gave that as one of his reasons for starting 77 management didn't he mm. he you know, yep. said he wanted to be there for young athletes who didn't always have someone looking out for them and he would he you know he'll text the athletes that he's got on his books just to make sure keep checking in with them make sure they're doing okay so see hearing that he did that with all the young tennis players coming through the ch- and that he watched them it's just it's so typical of the Andy, the, the, the idea of Andy that we've got yeah. in our heads yeah. as a guy, that just completely sums him up, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. I guess it's almost like, uh, it, it sounds like he doesn't forget, you know, where he came from almost. Like, cause like, uh, you know, that's like almost like all tennis players come through the challenger circuit at one point. And yeah, like I imagine quite a few of them never look back, but it's uh yeah it's quite nice to hear that he still kind of um you know holds that reverence for for the challenges that the challenger tour does present so thanks for sharing that yeah story. of course it, it's it's gonna be uh you know the only person this is gonna the only other person who's shown that um i i guess love for the challengers even though they're nowhere close to being at the challenger level well maybe he is right now nick Kyrgios. Uh, randomly, oh. <laughs> like, he, he and Andy oh. obviously have their friendship, but every <laughs> time I see Nick, literally every time he's just, he gives me the, the, the bro hug, if you will, the, nice. you know, the clasp and the hug. Uh, and he's just like, I miss those days, man. I miss those days. And I'm just like, really? <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, he, he, he seems to have that same <laughs> love and fondness for back in the day. I think, I think for him, it's just that idea that he doesn't feel the pressure of being Nick Kyrgios when he was playing yes. there, right? He could just go out, play tennis, have fun, not worry about the other stuff, but it's, it's a little different. But yeah, he has that same, I don't know, reverence for it back in the challenger days. Not, not to go way off topic and uh, talk about Kyrgios too much, but that's, that's again, that's a really nice story to hear because of, uh, yeah, I guess the amount of bad publicity that Kyrgios does get in terms of not loving tennis and uh, not, um, you know, not focusing on his career and not kind of, uh, yeah, really not, really not caring about the game. Uh, but yeah, just from that, it kind of sounds like he, yeah, it sounds like he still does. It's just you know about about focus for him, isn't it? Yeah, I guess, so. I, I always think with Kyrgios, it's everything that comes with the game yeah. that he's not keen on. You know, he's not he's not big on the fame and the publicity and the constant pressure that's on him. So hearing his reaction to the Challenger tour and and, and loving that that makes total sense to me. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I could see him does. going out there when he plays matches where there's no pressure on him, he yeah. plays out of his skin. Yes. So and he loves to do it. Like if if he if he knows there's a crowd there to watch him and it, it's just that underdog mentality and he can just yeah. go out and do whatever. Yeah. He loves it. But yeah, it's yeah. he 
if there was like a WWF or wrestling version of tennis in some way, shape, or form, he he would be absolutely perfect just because he will go out and he'll have those moments of of brilliance where he's just doing every single trick shot known to man, and and then other times where he'll just you know throw a bunch of rackets and crack things. He's yeah. perfect for that, right? So yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. If you were to able just to get him to be able to go out, have fun, not worry about the other pressures that come along, the media appearances, all of that, he'd be a perfect fit. And I, I think I, I did a, a final, I mean, I, I've talked about this before. One of the best finals I've ever seen was, it was Kyrgios and Jack Sock in a really? final in oh Savannah <laughs> in 2014. I mean, you think about that, the, the week before it was actually Kyrgios and uh, Krajinovic in back-to-back weeks. And you think about then a okay. couple of years later where all three of those guys are, I mean... They they have they have those memories of those particular matches, right? You know, so mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's it's pretty incredible some of the the matches and opportunities I've seen at the challenger level. This is where I feel like there's there's still hope for Kyrgios because when you think about back to when Andy was a youngster, he really didn't enjoy the the media side of things mm-hmm. and the the fame side of things and the pressures that came with it, and people did sort of think, oh, he's He's not really cut out for this he's, and he's a bit moody in his interviews. And But over the years, he learned how to deal with it and he matured. And I mean, he's done it a lot quicker than Kyrgios said because Kyrgios is now 26. Right. He's still got a bit of... <laughs> but, but I feel this is this is one of the areas where Kyrgios could really learn from Murray. And I, yeah. and I think there's still hope for him yet to, to mature a bit and, and, and maybe become a bit more level-headed i would like to see it happen i do because I, I i do like Kyrgios. i like his style yeah. of play um so it's 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 interesting to 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 hear all that and and analyze him like this and you know who knows maybe in a couple of years time we might see him doing a little bit better and not letting it all get to him on court so much i would love that too and um especially from a, a, a u.s perspective to be honest we we need that I mean, if if especially if 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 Kyrgios was an American, to have a, a guy like that who's able then to take over and get to that next level, that would be amazing. Because we obviously here in the U.S., you know, we've done so well, obviously, with Serena on the women's side, having that as you know, my my daughter today is having a, a a tennis lesson, and her her instructor is a young African American woman, and I'm just I I find myself you know just appreciating the fact that it's. Serena and and Venus specifically, and before that, Zena Garrison and all that, right? What what mm-hmm. that means? But we have done our, our U.S. male stars haven't really had that that one guy who's got that personality, and and mm-hmm. God, Andy is a great example of it too, right? Just somebody who has who's a different persona, and on top of it, has the success on the court, and and we yeah. we really need that here in the states. Definitely, yeah, definitely. So I guess that leads uh, me into uh, my next question about what we need from American tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, would love to hear your thoughts on um, the guys in the uh, Challenger Tour, the casting of characters. Like if you were to make a 16 player draw, who would be playing and why? <laughs> um, because we definitely want to see, hey, you know, there is Aslan Kretzoff who, you know, came up in August and September where he won Prague and Ostrava Challenges. Yeah. I saw his, like, the wins, you know, in the live scores, but I didn't even see the matches or anything. And right. So, of course, he just popped out of nowhere, as we all know. So go ahead and 
You want uh, you, you want can. a sixteen player draw here? Or an eight player draw. <laughs> Come on, yes, mate. I was thinking name, hey, name, you know, name, name. Let's Jeez. go big. Uh, so so <laughs> you, you you like just the American side or well, uh, whoever you've seen or or whatever. Go ahead. So just my personal what I'd like uh-huh. to see. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think most people would know I put Evo pretty high on the list. Okay. Uh, God, I'm gonna have to start writing down here. Okay. One, two, <laughs> okay. So I'm gonna put. Talk about putting you on the spot, eh, mate? <laughs> I mean, uh, just a, a little note of preparation. I would have had a list prepared. Um, I uh, let's see. I, Dan Evans has always been very high on my list. When I started okay. in 2013, um, he, yeah, actually, I think I know that the um, and and you guys I know would have seen this that they had had a list a couple of weeks ago. And Peter, you might have tweeted this at me. Um, the most watched challenger matches of the last, I think, five years. I think there was a tweet about that. And I think four uh-huh. of them were Andy Murray matches when, when yep. he was coming okay. back, Some, something along those lines. We had, um, so when, when challenger streaming started, it was strictly the USTA. It wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't international. It was actually a USTA pilot program. Um, I got involved, I think in year two, they went through a, a few different announcers, um, but I, I think I was the first one, I'm not trying to take credit, but I was the first one to use social media to try to interact, knowing that it was since yep. it was, you know, tennis Twitter was a thing even back in 2013. And if you wanted the stream to be successful, you had to get it out through social media. And for whatever reason, Neil Harmon. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. Yep. Media character over there in Great Britain. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so he, I, he happened to somehow see a tweet when I was saying that, Evo was playing Bradley Klon in the final of Aptos. Uh, so it's 2013 and he retweeted it and he had such a massive audience and we went above 60,000 viewers, which at the time, oh, I wow. mean, we were again, since it wasn't challenger tennis streaming, wasn't a thing back then. So we were yeah. maybe averaging 1000, 2000 viewers. And then all of a sudden one day there were 60,000 viewers with Evo and Bradley Klon. And because Evans is a thing. His his style, his flair, um, his personality are uh, just that's what I want to watch over and okay. over again. Um, I, I, yeah, he is he is an interesting man. I've had a lot of really deep conversations with him at times. Really, I, okay. I, I'm I'm fascinated by him. Uh, I will not agree with everything he does. I'm sure he wouldn't agree with everything I do. I do as well. But he is. Yeah, um, he's not American. Is that is that still okay, Peter? <laughs> yeah. I, I just want. I just okay. We'll tag. We'll tag evil underneath this episode. Um, let me help you out here, real quick. Yeah. Um, because I want to see Mitchell Kruger. Um, wow, that's very Texas of you. Yeah. Um, uh, Tyson uh, okay, Kwiatkowski. Put, all right, I'm putting Mitch on the list and Ty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, got to put Ty on okay. there. Okay, um, I'm going to put Francis um, Francis Tiafo on that list. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. Obviously, our careers will forever be intertwined with the sex incident in Sarasota. Not me and yeah. him, but I obviously was other people. Going to get to that. Um, but go ahead and uh, if you want to. <laughs> What's uh, the next question on the list? Yeah, us. Mitchell was involved too. Mitch was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, people people loudly screaming sex noises from a apartment complex nearby and. Interrupting the broadcast, uh, Lord. So, honestly, honestly, I wasn't sure if I just misheard because of the accent there, or if <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if you'd said the sex. Sex, yes. <laughs> S-E-X. Oh, sex. What? Oh no, yeah, you definitely, yeah. Said, what definitely I said, said sex. Yes. Um, 
Yes. Uh, so that was a thing. Millions of people watching the YouTube highlights of that afterwards. Uh, that was... Good publicity for the... <laughs> I mean, he, you know what's funny about that? I actually, uh, the, the day after I was doing media interviews with national entities here in the States, um, you know, just like, what's it like to broadcast a match interrupted by people having sex, you know? And aha, it's hilarious. <laughs> I actually got yelled at by people in Sarasota. People, people oh on God. site because they thought... We need to be focusing on the tennis, and I, I and I I found myself realizing these are older people want to keep things proper, and I'm just like, you're gonna have today on our stream, you're gonna have how many eyes on the stream that wouldn't ever have watched? How many people oh, now yeah. know that there's literally broadcasting yeah. of a of a challenger tennis <laughs> match, and on top of it, your Sarasota newspaper is running a story on it that they might not have run. This is yep. how yeah. things work nowadays. Um, yeah. But yeah, so Francis has to be on there too. I I think. That that incident's on there, but on top of it, just seeing his progression, and I, I think he, uh, you know, he came up with Riley and Tommy Paul and Taylor Fritz, but Francis is the one who I think kind of hung around at the challenger level the longest, um, because I think, frankly, he had to mature and get to that that point where he was mentally ready to to go to that next level. Um, okay, so I've got we've got four now. All right, so we've at least got one quarter. Um, God, this is, I, 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 um, okay. I'm going to put Marcus Willis brutal. on there. Um, okay. um, oh, good show. Oh, yeah. Mark, Marcus and I had, had an experience with the RC Cola and the Snickers bar. Um, oh, that was, that was, that was the matches that you called. Yes. That was against tennis oh, okay. Sandgren. He beat tennis Sandgren in that match. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> no celebrating. No <laughs> celebrating. We're all members of the media here. I saw that. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, but Marcus, Marcus has been great. I did his podcast, um, a couple months ago. Um, we, when he stopped playing and he actually was uh, starting to coach, he was in Maui the last year we had a challenger in Maui in Hawaii, which was, uh, rest in peace. I missed that one immensely. Um, but we, we had, we had Island cocktails <laughs> at a oh bar. He was at, like kind of at the, this was before, this was before the Wimbledon ish the run. Okay. Uh-huh. And yeah. he was just kind of done. He was just over it and just like ready to go into coaching. And we just enjoyed our little tiki drinks with the umbrellas and <laughs> had a great conversation about life and, and love and all of that. And then a couple months later, he's playing Roger Federer in the second round at Wimbledon. That's insane. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, all we needed was a bit of a Hawaiian sunshine. That's what it is. Well, there was. It was amazing. It was just like the if, if it's one of those like a, a rom com type of like a romantic movie end <laughs> scene, like sitting at a bar, sunset, oh tiki drinks, and me and Marcus Willis. What a couple we were. Um, <laughs> Marcus, Marcus has got to be up there. Um, let's see. Um. I, I have. Can I can I throw a name in? Of course. Can I could I throw Dustin Brown oh, into the, oh, the mix? I've watched oh, him. Yeah, yeah. Dustin yeah. Dustin only has come through for us on the U.S. side. I think twice, only twice, mm -hmm. and we got into a fight. No, um, no uh, way. Yeah, first, I'm writing him down so I don't. So, uh, God, I'm trying to remember exactly the circumstance. He was playing Seku Bangora. Okay. Um, and it was a, an issue. It was a touch issue. So he, Dustin hit a ball, and 
I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but we had an instant replay of Seku looking like he was trying to go for a ball and whether it touched his racket or not, or if it missed it. And so I, I said that he didn't. It, I, I agreed with Seku that it didn't touch his racket. Dustin was livid and and lost the point, and he ended up losing the match to Seku Bangora. In it was in Tiburon. And like afterwards, he he'd heard my comments. We'd never had an interaction, and he's just like, oh "You God. really think it didn't hit the racket?" I'm like, "Mike, my name is Mike. It's nice to meet <laughs> you. I've seen you on TV before. You seem lovely." Um, but he was he was livid about it. He said, "You need to go back and watch the replay." I'm like, "Oh my God!" Wow, Jesus. he seems he seems like such a chilled out guy. I know, really. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. he he. <laughs> To be fair, he had just lost a match he probably shouldn't have lost. So it was just like, yeah. oh, you know, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I've, I've interacted with him, like, briefly afterwards and totally fine. Like, he, you know, he doesn't care. Not I fair. think, I think he actually <laughs> joked and laughed and said, you still think that wasn't a touch? Or, you know, what it is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're, we're, yeah, we're good. We're so good. he's like, he's over it, but he's not over it. But he's still, <laughs> right. he's still a little bit better. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to put, uh, you know, Nick, I'm going to put Nick on there. Um, those, uh -huh. those matches, his, he played two weeks, um, with us on the USTA pro circuit. Those two weeks, he won both of those events. Like I mentioned over Krajinovic and, um, Jack Sock in back-to-back -back in Sarasota and Savannah. Those were amazing weeks. He came on it. What, what was really cool is, so he played, so that that's five, five, uh, so probably eight, eight matches in a row that he was the feature match, the last match of the day in both of those cities. And so... Um, our broadcast ends right after the last match. It just shuts off, as as you guys mm -hmm. probably know. Um, so we never were able to do an interview, and he I, it, that was it sucked. We could never kind of arrange it, and, and so he would pop on the stream. He ended up pulling out of the third leg, which was in Tallahassee, but he had to come to the site. And he actually he he came up to me and he said, "Hey." I promised I'd do an interview with you. Let's let's do it. And so he came on um, when Tanasi was was playing. Uh, Tanasi was playing that that night, and so he sat in the booth for 15 minutes and just hung out and was like <laughs> actually pretty chill about it. And then tweeted just like, "I think I was pretty good at this." And was <laughs> <just> like, oh, <laughs> "All right," but like, so I, I have to put him on the list. His his tennis. It was one of those things where you could see right away that he was ready to be at a different level at the time. Yeah. Um, so Nick has to be up there. And so if, if we're going along those lines, I'm putting Yannick Sinner there too. Um, okay. So he played back-to-back yeah. -back weeks with us. Um, so that was July 2019, played Binghamton quarterfinals and then won Lexington. Um, and it was, again, one of those situations. I, I Noah was, was with me at the time and, like, you know, you knew uh, kind of, you know, Ben Rothenberg's already, you know, saying it's ginger Jesus or whatever he called Yannick Center at the time. But um, uh -huh. uh, <laughs> so I'd already heard about it. But then seeing it in person, it was just like, oh, my God, this 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 really is special. This is really, yeah. really special. Um, I'm, I'm often asked, you know, who I thought was the best out of all of the players that I've seen over the seven years. And I mean, I've it's an incredible list. I mean, we even had um, Sasha. We had Zverev do two two tournaments i think at the, actually at the same time as nick and sinner is the one that just made me just kind of just like oh my god how like how good is this kid at, at this age oh, wow. he's okay. that lanky i and so i was i did cincinnati a couple weeks after that and i said to one of the atp media guys i'm like that's that's the guy 
that's your guy. Like he's going to be quiet. He's not going to do anything stupid. He's clearly intelligent. He's going to be your guy in, in a few years. That's Grand Slam winner, fits the kind of Federer-ish mold of being just yeah. very professional. The image is there, all of that. That's going to be your guy. Um, and look at him now. <laughs> he's doing all right. He's doing okay. Um, okay, so we've got through two quarters now. Um, 16 is hard. <laughs> 16 is a lot. Um, it really is. I'm, I, I, if, if I don't put... I should have said eight. If you want to... <laughs> how many are we at? We're at eight. Again? We're at eight. eight. Okay, yeah. Okay, okay so then I'm going to just give you... I'm going to give you one more here. I'm okay. a, and I, I have fair. to put... Um, I'm going to put my podcast partner, Noah Rubin, on here. Of course. The, yeah. the reason I'm going to do that is um, it, it kind of, to me, kind of for, for, for me and what I've done, it symbolizes, he symbolizes um, the relationships that I've made over the years. Uh, one thing that I'm, I, I, I'm incredibly lucky to have at the challenger level is these bonds with players. Mm-hmm. If you go to an ATP event, you are, and Peter, you and I, we met in Cincinnati, right? Mm-hmm. So a couple of years ago, and we are, you saw where, where I was, right? It's completely segregated from the players up there and that, that high level, the interactions are all very monitored. You know, there's a media person there and we maybe get five or 10 minutes. At the challenger level, I have complete unfettered access to these players. Yep. And... Noah's a good example, but he's not the only one. I, I, I've made friends out of, uh, from, with these players, with these coaches. I'm incredibly lucky. You know, I, I mentioned Liam a little while ago. Like, Liam has, you know, Noah's different, but Liam has FaceTimed with my daughter. Like, oh she's, she's six, right? Like, so and <laughs> we, 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 text, we text him to just say, hey, you know, great job this week. And that's, you know, and, 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 my daughter actually made a video where I said, you need to tell him he still stinks though. And so she sent him a video. <laughs> I know you did great, but you still stink. Um, but like that's, these, these are, these are friendships. These are bonds that I, I am so lucky to have. Um, and, and, you know, I mentioned the Nick Curio story, like he, he knows me and he knows my work ethic at those, at that challenger level. So he has that level of respect for what I do. And so uh-huh. he, when we see each other, we have that bond. Um, even though we only had really those two weeks to, to talk and interact. But nowadays, I mean, this, this past week, there were times where I, I have to give players a ride some, sometimes because they're, you know, they're, they miss the bus or, or something like that. I've had players who have gone through breakups and they knew I went through a divorce. And so they've actually asked, you know, like what, what I did to get through things. I mean, those, I, 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 I I feel like in many ways I'm going to say big brother as opposed to a father or grandfather to make myself feel a little bit better about myself. But, um, but I, I think, I, I think in some ways I've been really lucky to fill for some players, a, a big brother role the, you know, going back to what we were talking about with Andy Murray, there's not a lot of validation, friendship, uh, companionship at, out there on the road. So if, if I have the ability to interact with them, maybe go out to dinner, um, something along those lines, I try to take it, so that you know they they have somebody to talk to, and frankly, that I do too. Um, and Noah's been very special for me in that regard. We we put this podcast together a couple of years ago, and it's it's been a lot of fun. And we literally are facetiming every day. Um, so I'm I, I consider you know he's he's just one guy, but I'm I it's it's the most important thing to me about my job is that I want to make sure that when I'm broadcasting, I make sure that I 
recognize and try to amplify that these are human beings, that mm -hmm. these are people yep. who are extremely talented at what they do. They may not be top 30 in the world, top 50 in the world. They may get there at some point, but they all have a story. Um, they all have emotions that they're going through when they're on the road. And if I can do my job well, then I want people who are watching to realize that this is who Noah Rubin is. This is who Bradley Klon is. This is who Dustin Brown is. Um, and so mm -hmm. I take that really seriously. And I, I think those relationships are, have been so crucial to me and I hope for the broadcast as well. That's amazing. And can I pick up on something that you mentioned earlier, Mike, mm -hmm. when you were talking about what it's like for these young guys on the Challenger, they're often there without their entourage, they're moving around on their own. Would you say that's, is that the biggest challenge that they're facing on that circuit? Or is there is there other things that they need to overcome when they're playing the Challenger Tour? Yeah, I, I think um, I think that's one of them for sure. Um, I, I, I think... You know, I, I actually had this conversation with some players a couple of weeks ago or during this last stretch. There's there's no recovery for your body. You don't have somebody who's able to really work with you on that. You you um, don't have somebody who's arranging your practices. You you are the CEO of your business and you're the only one who's running your business. So, yeah, you have to take care of a lot of things. Um, that frankly, you know, somebody like Andy doesn't always have to worry about. He's got somebody who's always taking care of his body so that when he's on the physio table, he can actually just, you know, focus on that. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that's one of the, the biggest things. And the fact that we don't have more money for players at that level, the fact that the prize money at the challenger level has been untouched for 15 years is continues to be heartbreaking. Um, yep. Because then players can't bring coaches on the road. Players can't bring yep. a physio, can't share a physio even with two or three other players. It's just financially not feasible. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest logistical challenges um, to, to answer that question. Yes, they just, mm -hmm. there's so much that they have to do for themselves on a daily basis. And there's something about individuality that's important. But yes, it's really hard. I think the second thing is, is just the mental side. And that's a really vague, complex answer. But I think for a lot of players, there's uh, almost a complacency um, at, at the challenger level that it, you, you don't look at it as a, a step. You feel there's some sort of validation once you get there and you're playing in all four grand slams every year. And there's maybe because your life is not terrible, like it is at the futures, like mm -hmm. you're just like, okay, I can, I can do this. And it takes something kind of special to be able to, you know, like Oslan's one example, frankly, Tennis Sandgren's another really good example of five, six years out on the Challenger Tour and then just suddenly like turning something on in his brain and going to a different level. It's really hard to do. Players like Yannick mm -hmm. Sinner, uh, Nick Kyrgios, you know, right? And they're only at the Challenger level for a short period of time. But there's, it's, there's just this little... Like I have to put everything else by the wayside for a period of six months to a year and just say my entire focus is on getting out of the challenger level. And it's that's a really hard thing to do. Like it seems like it's easy for us as, as fans, right, to just say I'm going to do everything I can to get to top 50 in the world. Okay, mm -hmm. but when you're out there every week, 
that's a different story. I mean, it's it's the commitment to on your day off, you know, I'm going to I'm going to do two training sessions instead of maybe going out with a friends and playing FIFA when you're just so tired from having played singles and doubles the day before. It's it's a single-minded commitment and I just think that there's that level of complacency or or maybe it's fear, I don't know. I'm not I'm not an athlete in that regard, but what is it that makes some players just say and click in, I'm ready to go to that next level and I'm going to do everything it possibly takes to get there? Well, that actually just segues perfectly into the next question that I wanted to ask you, Mike. And it was from your experience yeah. of watching players on the Challenger Tour over the years, how can you tell when or if they're ready to make that leap a great onto question. the main tour? That's a, it's a great question. And it's... It really is about just some of it's the interactions I have with them. Um, I, I had a really good talk with Dennis Kula that we had on our podcast a couple of weeks ago, and it felt different mm -hmm. to me because okay. he was he was just saying I'm at a I'm at a different place now. I feel like I know what it takes to be to be top fifty. I know who I am, and that's it, it, to to answer that question specifically. I think I think that's it. The understanding of one's own identity, understanding of one's own style. Uh, how one plays and it really it, it's just about that unquantifiable thing of just like I'm I'm ready to do that next level I think Liam's a great example right now what you've seen this year from him um, when I talked to him earlier in the year I you know I said hey are you going to come over for some of the U.S. challengers he said no that's not how it's not how I'm going to get to the top 100 right now I, I'm going to stay here I'm going to play in the ATP clays because I feel like I'm most ready for that and i was just like that's okay. that's that's different that's yeah. not what mm -hmm. he would ever have he's just like yeah I'll, I'll definitely be over there we'll hang out have a beer um no no he's different right now he's he said I, this is everything for me and and again it's i, I can't just say there's something that clicks right there, there's just that little thing that i can point to on on a tennis court when they're playing um i can i can point to some things like the understanding of like in terms of in a tennis match, Francis is a great example. He started working with Robbie Ginepri, mm -hmm. and it was this understanding of in order to get to the next level, you have to stop playing so many three-set matches. He was at something ridiculous in his first couple of years of playing like 60% of his matches were three-setters. He would win the first, mm -hmm. and then just he'd lose focus in the second. And it, then you started seeing just this slow little build of – first couple games of the second set, okay, I'm locked in and I'm going to give that same consistent effort. So I could, I could point to something little like that, but I think it's a little different in terms of the on-court stuff with each person. But ultimately it's just that, that single-minded dedication that I, I can't quantify except I, I know it when I see it or I know it when I hear it. And I yep. don't know if that fully answers your question, yeah. but it's the best I can offer in, in terms of just like, you know it when you see it that the person has changed. And mm -hmm. and yeah. I've seen it not as much as I would like for all of these players, but I, I've seen it enough to know that Francis is a good example. And yeah, Liam's been a great example this year. I wonder if for, for many of them, it's when they realize that they are working towards it themselves and it's not just going to... I'm, I'm trying to think the way to articulate this properly, but a, a player who's got a talent... And they've always had a talent among their, say, their local tennis club sure. and at school when they've been playing. And, and they've been the best among their peers. And then they go on to 
the Futures Tour and their, their good playing at the Futures events. And then they join the Challenger Tour and then they realise that they have to work that little bit harder. And I wonder if it's when they realise that it's not just going to be not going to be given to them. some of the pros make it look yes no i and i think the... that's a great example when i when i talked about that idea of complacency i think yeah. i think that's really it just this like everything has come so easy in so many ways right i mean don't get me wrong these people are working incredibly hard you know regardless but when it's come so easy on the court in terms of results and the challenger level for a lot of players is where there's that first stagnation like yep. it's just suddenly you don't win 80% of your matches anymore. You're winning maybe yeah. 60, right? And that's that first level where you're just like, can I swear? <laughs> oh, shit. Mario, you can tweet mind if you swear. It's okay, don't worry. <laughs> these, these, guys are, these guys are all really good. And look at Peter Polanski. He's been 120 to 160 for 10 straight years. He's never been there. And I, he's kicking my ass. Right. Like that's that's that first level of just like, oh, God, I'm going to have to go to a different level. And yep. it's I think um, there's there is that that first introduction to losing that you have. That's a hurdle that you have to get past. And some people are able to do it quickly. Some people are not. It just you just kind of sit there and just like, what was me? And I, this is really hard. And this is just who I am. And and then there's that step of, okay, I'm, I have to get to this next level, or I have to go away. And then there's also some people who play till they're 32 and are happy to be a challenger. So I, I don't know. But yeah, there's, yeah. there's something that clicks or something that doesn't. Mm-hmm. Going back uh, to Francis, I was the uh, DJ for the Irving Tennis Classic Challenger mm, okay. from 2014 yeah. to 2018. It was just amazing um, to see uh, his rise. And uh, I saw Robbie Gineppery mm-hmm. as well, of course, just watching him play and uh, at the um, RBC. Or, yeah, right. Yeah, um, as well. And so I was a huge fan of Robbie as well, of course. Um, it, it, but if I can, I announced, the, first, uh, the first challenger oh. I ever worked as a press aide, uh-huh. the final was Robbie Gineppery and Ivo Karlovich. Oh wow! wow. Yeah, there that you was go. the first one I was a press aide. It was Robbie Ginepri and Ivo Karlovich. They did well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Robbie's Robbie's a good guy. Yes, he, he is so, a good yeah. man. Um, and so I announced uh, Francis, and it was just amazing as uh, Maryland, or, <clears throat> and I was like, you know, Francis, you know, coming from Maryland, and he was just uh, surprised that I knew that he was uh, from Maryland, and he you know, was so excited just to be on the court. It was yes. fun to see him so young and so, you know, refreshing out there. So, he yeah. had a lot of maturing to do. Yeah. Um, and and I, I say that more in um, like protection mode, thinking about him as a, as a <clears throat> kind of that older brother, right? He, uh-huh. was, he was very young and impressionable in his first couple of years. And I, I, you always want to make sure that somebody that vibrant with life uh, has you encourage that and so that he has all the experiences that he could possibly have in his life. And at the same time, you want to make sure that he doesn't get too crazy with it, right? So I think that was uh-huh. I think that was kind of a maturing process for him of learning, you know, to when to when to enjoy life and when to not um, and and really kind of getting to that point like we were just talking about of, okay, now it's to it's time to get to that next level. Everybody knows you can win challengers here. So let's 
Uh, start going over to the next level, bud. So I think that was Robbie uh, kind of giving that sense of professionalism and like, okay, first couple matches, let's try to work on getting through in straight sets so you save your body for yes. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then then we get to go to the ATPs again. You never have to worry about qualifying for a slam. Let's let's do this and just get to that next level. And I think, I mean, he's it's it's been amazing to watch him grow in that regard because he's still that same kid. Like uh-huh. He still has that same excitement, exuberance for life, and I think that's such a a fine needle to thread, and he and his team and, and his family have, have allowed him to do that, and I think that's been really hard to do, and they did it well. Uh, Mike, one, one thing I wanted to quickly mention, like, you've, you've obviously, like, mentioned a few times that, like, uh, you know, uh, that some of the players, uh, like, kind of see, you know, they're, like, kind of... Um, like your little brothers, like it kind of sounds like you have this kind of like challenger family almost. Mm. Um, when when you do see the the transition, uh, the, some of the players transition up to the ATP tour, um, do you feel kind of like pride for them? Well, uh, for sure. Like, or or is there even like a tiny little bit of sadness that you no longer get to report on their careers? Like, what's it? What's it feel? What's the emotional kind of? Honestly, it, I I I take I I shouldn't say I take great pride. I I've, I'm very proud of them. Because again, I get to see how hard they work. I, I'm there early in the morning, so I see what their practice sessions are. You know, I, I see them or whether or not they're practicing. So I know when somebody's busting their ass, and you know, I, uh-huh. I just see it. So when I see Francis and and those guys, and they they make it, I, I try to make sure I send a congratulatory note, and I just say, "Good, good for you. Godspeed. Do your thing." And one of the things I always say to people is, "I I, I hope I don't see you for a while." Um, yeah. you know, because I, yeah. I want, I want them to succeed. I, I truly, for me, it's just like this. I hope this is a stepping stone at the challenger level for you. I hope that you are able to fulfill all of the goals that you have for yourself, whatever those may be. Um, at the same time, like I, I, I've been trying to move up too. Um, so yeah. I like, you know, for me, I, I, I've been seeing this process the same way, you know, just in different forms. Like for them, it's a, about playing, right? For me, I mean, I've had the opportunity now over the last four years to, to be at the Australian Open and doing the World Feed commentary, which is un- unbelievable. That was always one of my goals, to be broadcasting in a Grand Slam, and I'm doing that. And now the U.S. Open as well. And, you know, I just started in, in 2019, right before the pandemic. I was starting to work for the ATP radio and was scheduled to go and try to do some stuff on the, the television side as well. I mean, so that's going to hopefully start again here in 2021. So I, I feel the same way, like you know, yeah. like I'm trying yeah, to move up as well. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I think there's that um, that bond between us as players and, and the lone broadcaster. Like we're all trying to, I don't want to say escape, um, the challenger level, yeah. but use it as the uh, stepping stone into the next stage of our careers. Um, for me, though, I can say that this pandemic break has also made me say, yeah, I want to be doing those slams. It's it's obviously amazing. I mean, those experiences, I, I, I love being at the challengers. I love mm-hmm. it. I, I truly, it's so much fun. Um, yeah, I mean, last, last week you know, or two weeks ago in Orlando, there was almost a fight in the, on the court and it's just like yes sir i'm ready for this let's <laughs> let's go that's <laughs> where some of the drama is really bad. all right who's um, ready to throw smoke okay um so i mean those those are such cool experiences so i i really have a new appreciation for it having missed out on it for most of last year so i i don't know i think to answer your question yeah we we Everybody who's there at that challenger level, I think there's that 
common, we want you to succeed at whatever level, whatever, you know, whatever goal you might have, we want you to succeed. And I think they feel the same way for me. And that's been the experience when I run into them at the slams. We just had a conversation with Caitlin Thompson, Mm. the founder of Racket Magazine on our podcast. And she talked about not deifying tennis players we're fans of. Aside from Noah Rubin, um, are there any players you deify or a huge fan of? Um, God, that's, a tough, that's a really tough question for a broadcaster. You can say Andy uh-huh. Murray. Don't worry, um, you can just if say you want to pass, that's perfectly <laughs> no, I, fine. I don't. But I, if you, you know, were a fan of, you know, whoever, like early on, go ahead and uh, <laughs> Andy Murray. Yeah. Go ahead and, <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, God, it's this is such a hard question. I can, I think it. My fandom started with McEnroe. I mean, that's, uh-huh. you know, that's my age. That's when, when I was a small child seeing McEnroe and seeing the brashness of, of how he played and his personality. And I think that has stuck with me. Um, I would never, by the way, I should, I'd never deify Noah Rubin. Like I uh-huh. want to, I want to yeah. crap on this him as much as possible. This me wanting to but... tease you about Noah <laughs> 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 <But> anything else. <laughs> like for me, I, it started with, it, it's, It started with McEnroe and everything was like, that's been my, it's kind of been linear with who I like as a, as a fan. Uh Um, And so I, I don't, I don't know. I like Andy, Andy fits that, that mold in, in so many ways as, as you were talking about Claire, just that idea of his, her personality, especially at the beginning where he was so tense and, and frenetic and, and all of that, and still continuing to chirp at his box every single match, you know, nowadays, like, I love love that. I'd love to see it. Um, (laughs) Frankly, like for me, I I fell in love with the, with the British players when I started doing commentary because they, they would sit pretty close to my booth and just be their, their banter the entire match with, with the, whoever was playing, right? Like Dan Uh Cox is playing down on, you know, and the entire British contingent is sitting in the second row, two rows in front of me. And they're just all chirping and talking shit the entire match. It's great. (laughs) I'm just like, this is, this is, you know, so I, um, I mean, I, I love Nick Kyrgios. I, I do. I mean, he does some things that appall me, but I, I love it. (laughs) I mean, I mentioned Dan Evans. I mean, he falls in that, pattern as well right i mean putin seva on the women's side like like i just love that attitude and just like that feistiness we had over the last two weeks jensen brooksby um uh-huh. played one both of the challengers we were we were at and i just he is constantly come oning and you know talking a little bit of trash towards his opponent he actually yelled i hadn't heard this in since i was like 14 but he yelled all day after making a volley I was just like, holy crap, this is great for tennis, right? Um, so I, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's just kind of how my my path has taken me through my life. Like I started with John McEnroe, and I think I still kind of have an affinity for those type of players who have a little bit of personality, um, even though some of them will go overboard at times. But I think that's, I don't know. I don't, um, at this stage, I can say I don't have any, I'm not like if people ask me about the big three and big four and all that, like I, I, whatever I, I, you know, you do your thing over there. But like, for me, I just, I, I love the personality in tennis. I think it's great for the sport. Um, so I tend to have an affinity for those types of players. Yeah. That, I think that makes sense. So you, obviously you get to see so many up and coming players yeah. that a lot of us, 
we won't have seen, we won't have heard of at this point. Who should we be looking out for in the future? I here's the thing is I'm I I I don't have an answer for you right now because I feel <gasps> oh, I know Mike, I was going to go and put a bet on somewhere, I, but then I could one winner. If, if you can follow my tennis Twitter account, that's a betting one. Um, no, actually, it's not. I get fired for that. Um, I don't have I don't have one right now um, because I, I I've done four challengers in the last year. Uh-huh. Four. Can you tell us real quick what Jensen's like? Um, I can't. We're like actually his style of play and everything. Oh, style style I, play. I honestly uh, saw just one of his matches. Yeah, because um, and there was uh, tennis in the background as well. Yeah, no, um, it's, so, it's he yeah. is above uh, very good backhand forehand. Uh-huh. Forehand yep. is catching up. Serve is terrible, but okay. But has this thing? He competes at a level you just don't see very much. And okay. that that it that's a special thing, man. Like I I can't his serve will get destroyed at a higher level, just absolutely destroyed. And he knows that, and I know his team knows that, and they're working on it. But he okay. does everything right mentally in terms of refocusing, getting in his opponent's head. It is hard to contend with. Backhand line, backhand cross are really good weapons. Forehand's getting there. Understands, not great at it, but understands transition game. If you if you improved his serve, I, I, I actually said this to Noah the other day. I think if you improved his serve by maybe 15 miles an hour, that's a guy, top 30, is absolutely okay. possible for him. Possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but with his serve as it is, like he has to work so hard to get holds, so hard to get holds. Like a- against um, uh, Bjorn Fertangel is a great example, a guy who's been right around top 100 for several years and was just beating the serve to hell, right? Just mm-hmm. returning with depth. And Brooksby does really well to just get depth off of a, a second ball that's in his shins. Like it's he's done so well adjusting to the fact that he has a bad serve. So if you add a serve to his repertoire, he'll be a guy who's absolutely capable of top 30. Um, I was really high on, um, Sebastian Corda, really mm-hmm. high on, oh, yeah. on yep. Sebi. Um, so I, I, I think his mentality is great. Um, and so I think that's, he's going to be set for, for being a, a mainstay for quite some time. Um, but I, I, I'm used to seeing the, the 17 year olds to, to answer your question. I, I, I haven't seen 17 year old and 18 year old players for two years now. Um, okay. And so, like, I, I feel like I could say Nakashima, but, uh, it, you know, you've already seen him at this point, right? Like, yep. you know, that's that's the trick is um, with – I know that most of the uh, most of the European world, most of European tennis, you guys have had more challengers, um, for better or for worse, over the last, you know, several months. Here in the States, it's been it's been hard to, to get them going at the same level that we're used to. Um, and so I just haven't seen as much. I mean, like, I'm – I'm seeing most of, like Alcaraz and, and all that. I'm seeing it mostly like everybody else at this uh-huh. stage. And that's, that's been hard to take mentally um, mm-hmm. seeing it, seeing it just on, on the screen as well. Um, I try to reserve judgment personally until I see someone play in person, like and get that. It's, it's just not the same on a, on a screen, on a monitor. And, but then being able yeah, to see enough. it in person is a different beast. Um I don't know. So I, I, I don't have a great response for you. Hopefully by the end of the year, we can do this again. Um, yeah. oh, and, yes, and then I will have a better answer for you. 
<laughs> Have you Sounds seen good. Christian Harrison play lately? I did. We saw him in Orlando. Uh-huh. How is he doing? He's competing really hard. <laughs> uh-huh. Competing really hard, Peter. I used to be a huge fan of Brian Harrison. And when Christian came up, I was like, oh, there's a brother too. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, so, Christian, yeah. Christian's obviously been through a lot with seven surgeries. I mean, that's the, the fact that he's even playing singles again right now is truly amazing. I mean, he, mm -hmm. he, when, when the pandemic break hit, he was going full doubles. So for him to even be playing singles again is truly remarkable. Um, and, I, I, I don't know. Um, he seems he seems fresh and in a good place mentally. And so good. I think that's been helpful for him. Does he have a metal hip, though? <laughs> it, it, it's entirely possible with all the surgeries that he's had that he's got some metal still in there. And, and, um, yeah, no, it's it's uh, like those those type of stories are amazing, though, aren't they? Like, I, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I know you guys focus on Andy, but, uh, you know, Tanasi has been a great example of a, a guy who's missed all this time. Christian Harrison all of a sudden popping up and doing a semifinal in Delray. I mean, those yep. stories are amazing. I mean, Andy's is the one that's going to obviously, and for, you know, it's right for him to be getting all that publicity. There are so many of those stories of players who missed that, that kind of time, that two years plus. Um, I think it's more remarkable to be blunt, sorry to, to the three of you, but like Christian Harrison's a good example. His family does have, have some money obviously, but you know, it, it's different when you're a challenger level player and you miss two years. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, yeah, that's sure. tough. Cause you don't have those millions of dollars saved up. Um, mm -hmm. and that and takes wild cards aren't getting handed out to you and stuff. Right. That, that takes yep. a special level of dedication to then decide to come back after, after all of that and, and fight and go out and say, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice everything. So I think that's really special. And I, I think, you know, Christian's a great example of that too. Um, you just had a great conversation with Ty on your podcast and he talked a lot about being an Asian American in tennis yeah. and what he's faced lately. I'm a huge fan of his and he's a huge fan of Andy Murray. What did you take away from that conversation with Ty son? Um, I, I, I like Ty a lot. Um, mm -hmm. he, it was interesting to hear and, and, and Peter, you, I know you just listened to it. Um, him say that he's he's realizing and i'm i'm going to be paraphrasing here and not give an exact quote but it, it, he said something along the lines of that he's realized now that he's not faced as much as many other people have faced as an mm -hmm. asian american um specifically but what what kind of struck me from that conversation you know i'm listen i'm i'm obviously about as bland of a white guy as there possibly is in the United States of America, right? I, I, it's just given me this pause of understanding where where I have been, what I haven't had to deal with. Um, we also did a conversation with um, Philip Simmons, who's been a he was a guy who was I think his career high is somewhere around two fifty three hundred, who's been a coach now for several years. We were talking to him about um, what it's been like as as an African American in our sport as well here in the states, and I think just talking to both of those people specifically just gave me pause to think about the fact that I don't have to deal with any of this. I don't ever have to think about that. Um, and so telling that story has been huge and hearing Ty even admit that he's been lucky that he hasn't had to face nearly as much as some other people in the sport has again is one of those moments just like, Holy crap. You know, like I, I know mm -hmm. Ty, Ty, and I think he said it, he didn't want to talk about the specific experience um, that I, I know that he had it's got to be like that for, for a lot of, you know, specifically Asian players who maybe don't have as much 
maybe they don't speak English. And so they, when they come to the States, they don't have that understanding of what might be hurled their way. And that's, yep. that's been really hard for me to grapple with. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful to Ty for, ex, you know, expressing that so that again, uh, myself and, and our listeners would have that understanding of what it was like and what it's been like for him. What, what I was going to ask quickly was, um, to anyone of our listeners of Murray Meetings, because we've got so many, so many, um, <laughs> um, but whoever is listening to us uh, right now um, who has never, ever tuned in, and there will be some, I'm sure, mm-hmm. um, watched a Challenger match or tuned in to watch Challenger events or, yeah, like some might not even know about the Challenger circuit, like really. Um, why should they be tuning in to watch Challenger tennis, in your opinion? Like, Yeah, it's desperate. It's yeah. desperate. And that's, that's what drew me to it. Um, when I first started working as a press aide at the Champagne Challenger back in 02, I think it was 02, seeing how crucial those points were to players, how crucial that money was to those players. It doesn't always happen. We know about, you know, best effort questions at, at times, right? But knowing how much each individual match actually means at the stage of their career is what has drawn me to it. This is, you know, you are fighting for three points on a, on a Monday, right? But the only way you're going to be able to escape out of these challengers if you, is if you win every single one of your Monday matches for three points so you can be playing again on a Friday and Saturday. Yep. It, is, it is, yeah, just how raw it is. There's on top of it, we have those crazy styles of tennis. You're going to see a lot more crazy, crazy stuff, right? At the tennis, uh, at the challenger level that you maybe you're not going to see at that, that top level. But to me, yeah, it's just so raw and anybody can win. I, I, it feels like that, right? Anybody can win that tournament on that given week and can have this stretch where all of a sudden they're Aslan Karatsev and, well, maybe not that, but, you know, at least in this top 50 level, right? And and I just, I love that. I love these stories of people who maybe are 25 and all of a sudden, it, it, like you said, Claire, it clicks for them, right? And something turns mm-hmm. on and they're just like, holy crap, now I know that I'm a top 80 player or top 50 mm-hmm. player. And, and yeah, I just, that the passion that some of these people play with and, and what they're playing for. It, it always has been um, just a, an incredible story as a broadcaster to tell. And again, I just find myself really lucky to tell it and on a fan note, just really lucky to get to watch it and get to hear these players talk about it afterwards. Yeah. So um, what you're saying there about the desperation and it's like the fight to get mm. those points. I bet you you don't see many players withdrawing from a challenger event unless they're being wheeled out on a gurney. Yeah. Uh, I, it's it's we do. And I'll oh, say, okay. Uh, <laughs> I sound no, corrected. It's, you know, it's 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 been really hard, and I um I I am. Um, how do I want to approach this? Um, the 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 hard part about it, and this goes back to part of our earlier conversation. This idea that you know that your body is, you don't have anybody helping with your body. Um, I think on top of it, and this is a more big picture type of a a situation, you don't have a lot of people helping you with your mental health, your mental Mm -hmm. side. And that's where we do see enough withdrawals and retirements because people are just like, 
just tired. I'm just think tired. It's out. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's Lack you're, of you're playing you're playing thirty weeks a year, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah, like it is desperate. It's raw, but you have to have that commitment to it to get to that next level, like we were talking about, right? For fifteen or twenty weeks of the year, at least you are tired. You're burned out. You maybe just came from a grand slam where you lost in the first round of qualifying, and then you're coming back and playing. When you're watching the second week of Wimbledon, and you're in Winnetka, Illinois, playing for three mm-hmm. points on a Monday. Meanwhile, the quarterfinals are on TV right over there. That's flipping hard. Like mm-hmm. that's really hard. And if your knee starts bothering you, you got a a little knee injury, and you're just like. Ugh. I don't really, I don't, I don't really want to go a hundred percent today. Yeah. And we don't, we, we have not as a sport provided enough resources at the challenger level to a, take care of the body efficiently. And, you know, we've got physios there who do the best they can, but there's not extra help with the recovery afterwards. You know, players are all having to bring everything else, but we don't have that, that, advanced physio who's able to put in a little bit more time at the end of the day. Um, we don't also have just people, mental health side professionals who are able to just kind of make sure everybody's okay. Like mm-hmm. I, I talk about this idea of, you know, me being the big brother and I don't want to, I, I, I've had so many talks with people when they're just kind of at the, at the end of what they can do and what they can take. And then they don't have the ability to take weeks off because they feel so everything's so desperate. Right. And so it's this big cyclical thing. So, yeah, I mean, you have certain players who, you know, will never leave the court. You're absolutely right. You have certain people who are just like Jensen Brooksby is going to be a fantastic example of that. He is a guy who will net it's five, one 40 love. And he is not giving up on that point. You know, like somebody hits a ridiculous dropper. He is sprinting to that. So that's, (laughs) that's the, you know, there you have players like that, but yeah, a lot of them are just tired. They're just Mm -hmm. worn out, fatigued, mentally fatigued, physically, um, so I think it just kind of depends on the week and the person. Um, yeah. but yeah, that's, that's, that's a really passionate issue for me is just that mental health side and how we can mm-hmm. help make, um, it, it a more, uh, just a more a reasonable workplace, um, for yeah. players so that they feel again, kind of what we when we started about Andy Murray validating them and making them feel like the humans. And I think we need to try to work harder to do a little bit more of that at the challenger level. Yeah. It sounds sounds to me a bit like a challenger can be both the best and most fun times of a player's career, but also the hardest, both yes. physically and mentally. Yeah, you absolutely hit it right because I think um, I, I think you tend to make. I'm, I'm speaking for players here, but I I think a lot of them make more friendship relationships at that level because of the fact that yeah, you're you're competing with them, but it's not for the millions of dollars, that high stakes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and you're also at the 21, 22, 23 year old level. I mean, I don't know. I'm like 80 years old and still most of my <laughs> friends are from that, that age frame. Right. Um, and it, so you're having this incredible time out in these random cities across the world and you have to travel with another friend in a, a car for 14 hours to get to somewhere in Kazakhstan. And so you have these incredible bonds with these people. But you're right. It's it can be really grueling at times, too. And you find yourself alone um, a lot of times. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. This dichotomy of what the challenger is, uh, what the challenger level is, it's um yeah, it's 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 really fun to learn about though. I mean, you have some incredible stories. I mean, you could 
you could pull, and this is actually a podcast that Noah and I are going to do at some point on a rain delay day. Um, so don't steal it. Um, but like <laughs> what, like it, you could pull any player from any tournament that you go to and say, quick, what's your best travel story? And they will have some random, mm -hmm. my car broke down. I was with this person, this player, this coach, and we were in somewhere in Australia where there's 8,000 snakes. And they'll just be able, every <laughs> single player has that story for you. Um, and it's it's remarkable. But they all tend to happen like at the Futures or the Challengers where they all have to pack into a car and get yep. to the next place. And it's it's fascinating. Like uh, some of the, some great days for me uh, at the challenger level has been like sitting with six or seven players shutting up and just going like retreating into the back of the corner and just letting them all talk and tell their stories about, about different things. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. And my friendship with Noah has allowed me to have more of those experiences over the last couple of years. It's been really fun. There you go, guys. Go and watch Challenger 10. Yeah, please yes, do. 100%. Please do. And we try, like, I, I try to be as interactive as possible um, when we're when we're on the road on Twitter. And I'm terrible about Instagram, mostly, again, because I'm 84 years old. Um, but I, I try to get better with, with that kind of stuff because I think I think the interaction we have um, on the broadcast side to, to try to facilitate and answer as many questions as we can, it's pretty important. Um, if you're choosing... Yeah. To, if you're choosing, literally choosing, instead of it just being on your TV, but you're choosing to come watch a challenger, you must have something invested in it. So if we can help make the uh, it, your viewing experience better, I want to make sure I try to do that. Mm -hmm. yep. And it's free to watch. It's free it's to watch. Every damn challenger around the world is free to watch. So there's no excuse. Yeah. Get involved. That's been that's been so cool though. Like now ev you can watch every challenger around the world. I mean, that only started a couple of years ago. It used to be just a US pilot program. It actually started in Dallas one year that they did local and then the USTA picked it up and now every challenger around the world is broadcast for free. It's amazing. Amazing. It was a it was a surprise of uh, all of the Murray fans when 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 Andy played uh, <laughs> Biella and it was like where's the stream how how do I, what do I need to pay what is like, <laughs> the link's right here it's it's free to watch and they what what <laughs> it's literally on a website that you probably look at every yes, day absolutely. yeah literally yeah, right literally right there. <laughs> so I think I might have asked you this in Cincy when I. Uh, met you in 2019. Okay. But what would be your walk-on song to motivate you if you're going out for a match? Pierre's wanted to ask this a few times in yeah, a few interviews I love, in the past, uh, and he's missed it. So. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm pulling up my phone. Give me a second here. I, I. Oh my God, this is this is so hard. Right, so let me let me preface this by saying, Peter. Um, you were the DJ at the RBC, no, the, uh, Irving, Irving tennis. tennis classic, yeah. yeah. Uh, so for, for roughly 10 years, I did the music for the university of Illinois, basketball, football, uh -huh. tennis, and soccer. Oh, wow. So like, I, I take this seriously. Uh -huh. I, I, I actually I at Tallahassee, they were playing uh hall and Oates right before, uh, one of the semifinals. And I'm just like, listen, I love Hollow Notes, greatest uh -huh. mustache in the history of, of rock music. However, never, ever should you be playing Hollow Notes like 10 minutes. It was private eyes. So it wasn't even like, I can't go for that. I mean, uh -huh. I take this very seriously. Oh, my yeah, word. Yeah, the oldest song that I usually played was Pat Benatar's 
hit me with your best shot. I mean, of at course. least that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Was so bad. yeah. Makes sense, but I'm gonna, I I'm gonna, know about hollow notes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to hit you with some old school. But uh -huh. I think, That's I think fun. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Jimmy James by the Beastie Boys, which is the opening track okay. uh, on Check Your Head. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with that, a little bit of a, a rock beat, um, but still with the hip hop influence. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with uh, Jimmy James by, by Beastie Boys. Nice. nice. That's solid. That a little bit strong. out of the box for you. <laughs> yes, I do take that stuff very seriously. <laughs> um, so usually we finish up at, like we, we like to make a habit of asking asking our guests um, on Murray Musings. Where do you see Andy Murray going from here? What has he got left to achieve? Has he got anything? And we are wanting honest answers. If you feel like he is done and dusted, uh, we, we'll cry a little bit uh, and we'll break out in tears. But We'll accept it. What do you think? Are you guys gonna punch me when I when I meet you? I mean, that's the no. big question. No. No. Well, <laughs> I, might turn, I might turn my back on you. Yeah, no, I'll that's fine. You. I get that all the time. All the time. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I. We want honest. David. Yeah. We no, I'm trying. Honest. I'm trying to. I'm trying to give you honest without without. I, I I'm at the point where I don't. It doesn't matter to me what he accomplishes anymore. Um, yeah. I, 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 I want him to, this is going to go back to what I was just saying about the challengers. I don't know what his goal is right now. I guess, you know, he's saying all the right things in terms of what he expects from himself, right? Uh, of being at the top level of our sport again. And if that's yeah. his goal, like, I'm all there for it. I, I, I don't know that he can. I don't know that any of us know if he can, right? If, physically, let alone, you know, the tennis side. So I, I think for me, I want to see him competing and being happy with his level of competition on the day, on the yep. individual day. Um, I, I, I don't know that he'll ever be top 10 again. I, I, I have severe, strong doubts about that. I do think it's absolutely capable. He's capable of being top 50 plus. Right, I think that's totally well within reason for him, with his level of tennis, with how hard he competes. I want to see him happy competing again. Yep. That's it. Period. Yeah. Point blank. When he is happy and when he's competing and he's competing at the level that he wants, it's entertaining because you see him having fun at times and you mm -hmm. see him yelling at people and you you know it, right? You guys more than anyone, you know yep. it when he's at that level, and that's what I want. I know he can get to that. He might not accept that it maybe is not the tennis that he had five years ago. And that's hard for any athlete to accept, right? Yeah. I just want him to compete at that level again so that he goes out on his terms and feels happy yes. with that. And yeah. I know that's kind of a metaphysical spiritual answer, but God, man, like no, he's, no. he's you, you guys are there with me. Like just seeing him at his level when he is at that comp level of competition, that's that's what yeah. it's all about. And so I, I hope he's able to get to that regardless of what the tennis looks like. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I want to see, when the time comes, I want to see Andy go out on his own terms. Yes. Exactly what you just said, Mike. I don't want him forced into it because yes. his body's let him down. Yes. Yeah, exactly yeah, right. For sure. Exactly and, right. and, and of course, I want to see him win gold at the... Tokyo <laughs> no for sure I, I i mean god what a, what an incredible story that would be what an absolute legendary story that would be yeah it would be he can do it he absolutely can 
And what a positive picture to wrap up this episode of Murray Musings on. Mike, <laughs> we would like to, yeah, I think I speak for, for, for my fellow co-hosts here when we say a massive thank you for taking a time out of your super, super busy schedule to like sit down with us here in Murray Musings HQ. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, I did. And you are, of course, welcome back anytime. No, I, I absolutely, you know, I, I'm going to take that personally and I'm, I will, uh, you know, once we get some challengers under our belt, I absolutely will come back only to tell you about Please, the 17-year-old yeah. that I saw who's going to be the yeah. next <laughs> That's yeah. the only reason I'm coming back. And I'm going to actually put together, I'm going to have to write this down. I have to put together a 16-person bracket. <laughs> and, and then I'm going to have to come up with like maybe an hour of warm-up songs. So a full hour of warm-up songs. Because you got to warm up for a while, right? I mean, you don't get just one song. you got to warm up. With yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. I absolutely would be, uh, love to come back at any time. Amazing. We will hold you to that. We'll hold oh, you it's back. been great talking to you, Mike. It really has been. Thank you so much. No worries. So, yeah, thank you very much, guys, for tuning in to yet another episode of Murray Musings. Uh, I've been Scott. He's been Peter. She's been Claire. And that's been Mike. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Goodbye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.